everybody. I'm going to give it another minute or so, and then I'll get started. It sure is quiet here. Give you some time to get your coffee and get your Bible. We're going to be reading in Luke 12, or sorry, Luke 6, verse 12 through 16. We'll be in Luke 6, 12 through 16. So grab your Bible, grab your coffee, get cozy. We'll start here in just a minute. What do you think? Should we get going? All right. Like I said before, we'll be in Luke 6, verses 12 through 16, so grab your Bible. I've talked with a few of you this week, and everyone sounded really upbeat. Everybody sounds prepared as much as they can. Everybody sounded secure. Uh, We're not watching too much news. We're getting enough news, but I've noticed that when people get too much, they just turn it off. They go for a walk, so let's keep up that, that practice. Uh, we've been keeping up to date with prayer needs and practical needs, and I want you guys to keep sharing with one another your prayer needs, and if there's anything practical that we can get for you, if you need somebody to run an errand for you, we're more than happy to do that. Nothing is too small to share, uh, so don't keep your concern to yourself just because you don't want to add to an already tense and challenging time. Uh, looks like we have online giving now, so thankful. I'm thankful for technology. Thank you to the church body for taking care of me and my family. It means a lot. We are very grateful. And, uh, and I'm glad we can use technology for this, too. I would much rather prefer the face-to-face, but I guess we'll take this. This is really weird. This is an empty room, but I'm I'm just going to focus on you guys and hopefully uh, get over my weird anxiety about this. <laughs> There's still lots of unknown. We're still in a wait and see period. It's such a unique time and such a unique set of circumstances. I still think that there's more tension to come. There's more trial ahead, but it's not outside of God's knowledge, His sovereignty. And I'm looking for ways, and I encourage you to look for ways you see him uh, using this time to draw people to himself. It's been really clear since day one that we've heard about this, that God is calling his people to pray. He's calling his people, his church body, to pray, to intercede, to confess and repent. The verse that keeps getting uh, brought up on my page, brought up in my life, is from 2 Chronicles 7, and I want to read it to you again. It says, If my people, 
who are called by my name, if, if God's people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I shudder to think what would happen if we did not, if we did not humble ourselves, if we did not pray, if we did not seek God's face, if we did not turn from our wicked ways, then will God not hear from heaven? Will God not forgive and will God will not heal our land? We're in the Lent season, approaching Easter, the day of resurrection. And I find it interesting that this period of Lent is intended to to give us time to clean house. Many people fast during Lent. They they clear their house, they clear their lives of things that get in between them and God. And I find it appropriate that we are in that season. I think that we need to use this season to, to clear our house, to clear our hearts, that we confess and we repent and we pray and seek God's face. So I'd like to pray for us before we get into the word here, and uh, would you pray with me? Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray for our healthcare workers. We pray for our church. We pray for our neighbors. Lord, we pray for our overseas missionaries. So many people come to mind during this time, people who are battling, who people who are working, people who need wisdom and protection. Lord, we pray for all these. Lord, would you guide us? Father, we confess that we have done what is right in our own eyes, and we want to come back to you to do what is right in your eyes, to live our life according to your will and plan, not our own. So, Father, forgive us. Deliver us, Lord. Now we also pray for wisdom and insight from your word that you, you will encourage our hearts, Lord, that you will guide us and show us who you are in, in, in the text here. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Luke 6, starting in verse 12, and it's an odd uh, passage to be covering today. And at first glance, you might say, what does this have to do with today? And I hope to show you that it has quite a bit with what's going on today. Let's begin and read it. So one of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. What does this have to do with what's going on today? Well, quite a bit. I'm going to try to show you three things from this, and you can use this as your outline. I'm going to start with the prayer that Jesus prayed, and then I'm going to talk about the people that this passage describes to us, and I'm going to talk about their purpose, and hopefully our purpose and plan. 
So the passage begins with prayer. Jesus goes on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the whole night praying to God. I want you to recognize, and Luke wants us to recognize, that prayer is a major priority to Jesus. And Jesus models prayer to us. Just the chapter before, Luke points out to us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and he prayed. And if prayer is a regular and a dedicated practice, a necessity, if you will, to Jesus, it certainly needs to be for us, and even more so. And he spends the night praying. He spends an extended period of time having a conversation with Father. And for many of us, that sounds like an overwhelming task, a a big thing to do, an extended prayer time. What am I going to do in all of that time? A lot of it is listening. A lot of it is is conversing. A lot of it is is getting things out so that you you can listen. I want us to realize this, that extended prayer time is not wasted time. It's valuable time. And right now, all we have is time, right? And I just feel like the Lord is calling me and the Lord is calling this church right now to a season of extended prayer time. Pray, church. Prayer is a command. God commands us to pray. And it is for our benefit that we pray and that we pray a lot. It says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By praying, we invite God's peace into our heart, into our mind. It guards our heart. It guards our mind. By praying, we align ourselves with with God's will. It helps us to see where God is working, and it deepens our relationship with Him. And it also deepens our relationship with others. As we pray for others and one another, Uh, We are emotionally invested into their lives. We are praying that God would work in their life. It draws us closer together, and we need a whole lot of that right now. Jesus prays a lot. You see in the Gospels, it shows him praying before meals. He gives thanks before a meal. In Matthew 19, we see him praying for the children He prays before miracles, before raising Lazarus from the dead. He prays. He prays the high priestly prayer in John 17, this long, in-depth prayer that just shows that his heart is uh, his, his passion, his vision for his people, his church, and he prays for us. And we see him praying passionately in the Garden of Gethsemane before his great trial of torture and crucifixion before he bears the weight of sin on the cross. And at his last breath on the cross, he prays. But here in Luke 6, 12, we see that before making a big decision, Jesus prays, and he prays all night long. And his prayer was, who are going to be the leaders of this new movement? And he chooses 12 out of the group of disciples that were following him. He chooses 12 as to be the leaders, to be the ones that he is going to intentionally 
grow and develop and disciple and to be the new leaders of his movement. And what I want us to see from this list of people is that they're just ordinary folk like you and me. They've even been called ragamuffins or riffraff. There's nothing uh, spectacular about their lives. They're just ordinary men. And I'm not lifting them all, but I want you to see that how ordinary they are. Peter, James, and John, they were just all fishermen, but they were in Jesus' inner circle. Peter is an impulsive guy. He's passionate. I know some people in this church like that. He's an open book. He messes up, but he's, he's still teachable, right? John is confident in Jesus' love. He describes himself in the Gospel of John as the one whom Jesus loves. He is confident that Jesus loves him. And he is possibly Jesus' closest earthly friend. Jesus' group of men is also very diverse, and he does that intentionally. He wants diversity. He wants people from this side of the room to match with people from that side of the room. We have Matthew and Simon. Matthew, otherwise known as Levi, worked for Rome as a tax collector. And Simon was a zealot who was a political activist against Romans and against taxes. And Jesus wants them to come together in his name and get along and and focus on Jesus' mission. We have Simon, or we we have Thomas the doubter. He's a doubter, but he's not afraid to speak, to speak it out and to get answers. Mix in a couple evangelists in this group. We have Andrew and Philip. When they were called to follow Jesus, they both went and got somebody else and drug them along. Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, and he went and told Simon Peter, we have found the one that Moses talked about. Andrew was also a disciple of John the Baptist before he started following Jesus. Philip, he went and got Nathaniel, and he was also the one who explained to the Ethiopian on the road to Gaza what he was reading in the text in Isaiah. And then finally, we have Judas the betrayer, and it turns out that he loved money. It says that Satan entered his heart, and he betrayed Jesus with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver. But even he was chosen so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. These were all sorts of men, diverse, different walks of life, and they were overwhelmingly common people. They were not chosen for their pedigree. They were not chosen for their accomplishments, nor their resumes. They were called for this purpose, to simply follow Jesus and be discipled by him, to learn from Jesus, to be teachable. And it ended up that their job was to be the fathers of the church. They were the first Christ followers. They were the first Christians who served as eyewitnesses to the identity of Jesus, the life and the mission of Jesus. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent them to go make disciples, just like Jesus did. We're supposed to do that with others. And as a result, they were all persecuted. They were all martyred. I wonder if they ever asked themselves or asked God, why me? I'm nobody. Why do I get to be called to this? This seems so important. I 
And there's a little bit of fear mixed with a great sense of honor to be able to do what they were doing. And maybe today you're asking yourself the same kinds of questions. Who am I? What can I do? I want you to hear today that there is no mistake. We are all, like the apostles, chosen for this time. They had their job to do, and we have our job to do. And it's all surrounding, all centered on the mission of Jesus. You see, Peter wrote in his letter to the church that we are all chosen for this time. It's our turn to be the church to this people now, today. It says in 1 Peter 2 that you, y'all are a chosen people. Y'all are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So you may be asking yourself, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do right now? And one thing I know for sure today, and maybe this week, is that we are called to pray. I mean, I've been hearing it loud and clear in my time with the Lord. As I look at the spiritual landscape, as I get a sense of what God is saying to his church right now, God is saying, pray, and pray like you've never prayed before. Extended prayer time is not wasted time. It is good for us to dedicate ourselves to prayer. Prayers of intercession, prayers of repentance, prayers of faith. I believe right now many people are praying who didn't pray before. And I wonder, do they know who they are praying to? And I'm praying... I'm asking God that he will allow us to introduce them to Jesus as a result of this. We want them to know Jesus, the the God who hears, the God who sees, the God who protects, the God who heals. We can pray for marriages and families. Marriage and family has been an issue for a long time in our community. And right now, families are locked in together. And I think we can all pray and intercede that there would be healing and mended relationships. And by praying right now, we will prepare our heart and our mind because the future is uncertain. We don't know how severe this will get, and this is just time to prepare this is a sobering time. It's a time to reevaluate, determine what's really important in life. I was on a walk with Holly, my wife, this week. And as I was walking, I got the thought that, you know, what if I got infected and I passed away? This might be one of the last walks I ever take with her. And what it did, it didn't make me afraid it made me realize how precious each and every moment is, how precious today is, and how valuable right now is. And so I wanted to use my time wisely. I wanted to invest my heart and my attention into my relationships because it's, those are what matter most. By praying, we will prepare ourselves to know people who grieve because of loss. By praying, we will prepare ourselves to know people who are angry that this event is even happening. 
My intent is not to make you overwhelmed or overcome with fear by this, but to encourage you that we have a role to play today. And that prayer is a huge part of that. I was encouraged to realize, too, that we're not the first ones to ever go through a trial like this. There are a lot of people in heaven right now who have had a sickness or a plague sweep through their own town and country throughout the history of Christianity. It's happened a lot. And when we all go to heaven, we can all compare stories. But I saw a quote by Martin Luther, the founder of the Reformation, who wrote a letter to his friend. And I'm going to read this short letter to you. You see, back in 1527... A deadly plague hit Martin Luther's town of Wittenberg. And he wrote in a letter to his friend explaining how churches should deal with these complicated circumstances. And he says this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. And so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however... I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. It's amazing to me to think how Christianity has spread worldwide, and it all started with these 12 ordinary men. And I want to tell you, church, that we have something stronger than corona to infect people with. We are contagious with God's peace, and we are his carriers. And so I want you to ask yourself, as you pray, in what ways can we carry the peace of Christ into our neighborhood, onto our block? I think we can bring peace by calling your neighbor and asking for uh, something you can pray for them about by asking for their prayer requests, and you bring that before the Lord. And I hope everyone in our church has gotten a call this week from one of our elders. If you haven't, contact me, because I want to check in with you. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. And that was the intent of our call as elders, to call to, to pray for and encourage and make sure that all your needs are met. We're checking in with our flock. Now I want you to check in with your flock. And then you ask your flock to check in with their flock and see what there is that you can pray about. See what there is that you can provide for us in terms of need and encourage one another. This is all I have for you this week. Again, this is a long-winded way of saying, pray, church. Pray and ask God to heal our land. Pray and intercede. We'll be on the same time and channel next week. Read your Bible. Pray next week. We will be in Luke 6, verses 17 through 26. And I'll leave you with this benediction from Numbers. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you, church.